0: They finally are taking seriously that Google has said, yeah, this really is gonna happen early next year. We're finally getting rid of it. I mean, it came through loud and clear in the survey that we did. Third-party data is at the bottom of the list. First-party data, audience segmentation are at the top of the list. That makes perfect sense and it's a clear signal that publishers have shifted their priorities.
1: That's Michael Silberman, Executive Vice President of Media Strategy at Piano, our sponsor on this episode of the DigiDay podcast. Later in the show, Custom talks with Michael about how publishers are adjusting data management practices and working toward diversifying their revenue streams.
2: My name is Tim Peterson. I'm the senior media editor at Digiday, And my co host Kaylee Barber and I have traded this week, and she's the one out of town. So let me tell you about this week's episode. Our guest is Rashi Gupta Ari, who runs the consultancy Uplevel Digital. And I wanted to have Rashi on to talk about the privacy regulation landscape. Before founding Uplevel Digital, Rashi had spent a couple decades on the buy side at brands like Volkswagen and Samsung, agencies including Essence and Digitas, and then even in the ad tech realm with Newstar. Then in 2020, she went to work for the FTC on advertising practices and privacy. So we get into the work she did at the FTC as well as her assessment of today's privacy landscape, which is getting pretty active, but I'll let her go over all that. Ashley gupta Eric welcome to the DJ Podcast. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you, Tim. Very happy to be here.
2: Yeah, happy to have you here because I've been wanting to, it's been a little, a minute since we've had a conversation on here, like kind of talking about privacy and the privacy landscape. I think, think, you know, one of the last ones was towards the end of last year, um, talking about just kind of what the privacy regulation landscape was going to look like in 2023 um, with all, especially in the US, all these new state laws taking effect. But before we get into that. I kind of want to talk about how you got your start, especially like on the privacy side. So you have, you know, this long history uh working on the buy side. You've worked at agencies like Digitas and Essence. You've also worked on the brand side at Volkswagen. And it's always been kind of digital marketing. So I imagine that's how you kind of became aware of, you know, kind of the privacy considerations. But what was kind of your path towards really getting interested in the privacy side of advertising.
3: Yeah. Um, I think you touched uh, upon my background. So I started in the digital marketing advertising space, um, brand side, Samsung and VW. Then agency side, Digitas and Essence. I got to work with really like noteworthy brands like Amex, T-Mobile, Google, to name a few, Target. And then I spent some time on the ad tech side in Newstar, So the reason why I'm bringing this up is because this gave me a good foundation from all sides of the ecosystem. So brand side, agency side, and ad tech side. And then I started to just do consulting on my own for a little bit. And this was around the time of GDPR 2018. And clients were looking at sort of their usual business practices, revamping the website or sort of doing things like that. And started to come up, the question of GDPR and the cookie banner started to come up. And that's how I sort of got into privacy. I didn't choose the path intentionally. I didn't go to law school, Um, but I really fell into privacy through the implementation of privacy rules in marketing uh, space and in a very tactical way. And it's just um, because I've been in digital marketing, advertising world, like data targeting, measurement, analytics, has always been sort of part of the normal course of life for me. I just started to get interested and kept sort of a curiosity for it, kept my ear to the ground, just trying to like learn the space alongside. And um, it all came full, like real for me when I got an opportunity to go to Federal Trade Commission. So this was in 2020, I was appointed as a White House Presidential Innovation Fellow and got, to ch- got a chance to go to FTC uh, to work on advertising practices and privacy matters. And that's where I really saw the intersection so closely um, in terms of how the businesses operate, how the market operates, how sort of like the back end and the front end operates, what are the harms and the benefits to consumers. So really that's where um, I got to see a deeper picture and I spent two years at FTC, finished my term, um, and um, now I'm out back in the industry, uh, working at the same intersection of advertising, marketing, and privacy.
2: And so I wanted, you know, go back to the GDPR days and like that really being kind of your gateway into privacy. I feel like a lot of people I was talking to at the time, especially on the agency side, who are having to kind of field client um, inbounds about GDPR. That it kind of push them in a way like away from privacy like it was a lot of sentiment of like god i can't wait till we're done with all this gdpr stuff and we can just kind of move on with our lives but for you it got you more interested in privacy what was it about gdpr or what you were hearing with clients um that led you to get more interested in privacy
3: um i think it was more a curiosity because it was and sort of just a, a, a kind of like a hinge of some sort that this may stay around for longer. And um just if this is staying around for longer, I do wanna sort of understand this because this is to me it, it was a little bit of a nerdy thing is seemed interesting. It was sort of like, okay, well, we do all these things on the marketing side and we do all these things on advertising. We collect all this data. We are doing all these design practices and everything in when you're designing your experiences. And now this is another thing you have to figure it out. So to me, it was more sort of watching it. Is this going to stay or go? Uh, and part of me was like, well, if it stays, then I should learn about it. <laughs>
2: So what were the conversations that you were having then with clients or how you were kind of thinking about both privacy, but then also like the use of data, the collection of data in the advertising industry? Because I feel like people can kind of go two different ways with it. You know, one, oh my God, I can't believe all this is happening. How can I help to mitigate this happening, this you know collection and use of data? Other people can go the route of, oh, this is really interesting. How can I do more of this or enable more of this data collection and usage?
3: Yeah, it is more around the very tactical aspect of we have a new site that we need to build or we're updating our site. Do we need to do anything about GDPR and do we need to put in the consent requirements, the cookie banner or sort of, should we ignore it? Should Does it apply to us? So it was very much sort of those due diligence questions that started to come up. And that's where um, it was more like, okay, well, let me figure this out or let me at least do some digging and understand it and be educated enough to be able to um, have a conversation with the client and their attorneys and their legal people to just have a business conversation. And um, as I said, like it was, It was very uh, tactical in nature. I I didn't go deep into like the legal basis and all the sort of aspects of GDPR. Um, Again, it was was not until I sort of went to FTC where I started to really get deeper understanding and um, becoming a lot more familiar with the U.S. side of privacy.
2: Got it. Okay. And so speaking of the FTC, so... um Listen to an interview you did with Ad Exchanger for their podcast a few months ago, and you know in it you talk about you know they had written an article um, in you know I think early 2020 um, where the FTC was kind of you know putting out a call for advertising experts to come work with the FTC. Yes. And it sounds like you saw that article and it's yeah
3: like, yes. that's that's and, how I got there
2: <laughs> What was it that like why did you think, oh, that's something I would want to do?
3: So, um, before even I saw that article, I, as I said, I've been curious and interested in the world of privacy. And um, sort of, I even on my own did like One Trust certifications, did like um, IAPP certifications, or wanting to continue to learn all that stuff. So, it was on my mind. And it was something that I wanted to, at some point in my career, make the connection with and have. Saw the intersection that I wanted to go for, in terms of advertising, marketing, and privacy sitting together. And when I saw that article, um, it was what sort of I was like, well, this could be a way for me to learn and a way for me to like uh, two way street, right? One, learn about the regulatory side, learn about how privacy regulations, how ad practices intersect from a from a federal regulation perspective, and as well as I spent 18 years in the business in advertising world, so FTC uh, wanted to have somebody from the industry who understands uh, all the sides of the ecosystem, who understands how the players operate, what are the sort of systems, what sort of like the processes, workflows, and so it was it was an opportunity for me to like help them, give uh, educate them, and sort of strengthen their work as well as well as learn about the privacy world.
2: With that, like, what was kind of the the scope of the work that you did there with the FTC? You were the subject matter expert when it comes to, what was it? Advertising. Advertising, ad practices, yeah. and privacy.
3: Yeah. Um, so my work, I I started off uh, at um, my initial assignment or engagement there was what I said before. They wanted to come in, they wanted to learn about the ad ecosystem from the inside out. They really, they obviously, FTC isn't like, they're looking at it from the outside. They're always like looking at it and trying to understand the industry from their vantage point. And they wanted to understand how the inside of the system works. Who, What are the decision making? How does a campaign come to life? What are the different players? How does the LumaScape make any sense? So things like that. And I, my first engagement was designing a training program for the FTC staff and um, about the advertising world, about the advertising ecosystem, about all these DSP, DMPs, CDPs, like how all these uh, players work together, what are advertisers doing, what are agencies doing, what are um, analytics partners doing, like a, a sort of like a very... 30,000-foot view of how the industry works and what are the different players in the ecosystem and how they interact with each other. Um, And that was my first sort of engagement coming in. And very quickly, I started to take on more, um, get more involved in various other matters of FTC, so investigations and enforcements. So I touched a few of those. Policy work when it comes to rulemakings and workshops that FTC holds, Market research, which is their 6B authority, where they are able to um, do research on a set of companies on a certain topic, and then doing a lot of trends like leadership briefings, tech sprints, t- um, got to really dig into like some of the topics that we all in the industry grapple with, like privacy, privacy sandbox or ATT, algorithmic harm, AI bias, so a lot of those things. So that's my remit sort of broadened quite a bit but i still all my work centered around advertising practices and privacy so investigations that i was touching for example were in that those two buckets for uh, the any any market research i was doing was in those two buckets because so that's that's sort of how it was broad but and also it was um specialized
2: on that note like were there any types of advertising practices that the ftc was specifically, you know, focusing on or had an eye on or, you know, had you um, have an eye on?
3: I mean, their remit is so broad under Section 5, like everything that is uh, under unfair and under the umbrella of unfair and deceptive practices. So these practices can range from very broad topics such as consumer fraud, scams, deceptive claims, things like that, which is the core FTC um, portfolio. And then there are sector specific, right? So you have uh, sometimes like these unfair practices take place in credit and finance and children's privacy and security breaches. So then you start to narrow the funnel. Then you get the sector specific. And then most recently, as we see, a lot of their priority is focused around children's data, location data, um, health related data priorities, sensitive data. So it's sort of like it's not necessarily like um, it's not silos, if you want to call it like one thing can lead to impact in a lot of different ways. So, for example, most recently, as you're seeing, there is there is a lot of scrutiny around technology and marketing practices that are used, which cause data abuse. So, for example, pixels. So use of pixels and the impact of using pixels in terms of data leakage, in terms of uh, data sharing, which is not transparent, it, that that has applications to children's data. So children privacy. It has application into health data. So it relates to health companies. Um, there are dark pattern issues which are uh, prevalent around like um, that are that could be just consumer dark patterns, could be children-focused children, dark, children focused dark patterns. So it really is, um, it's a very interconnected web of all the different uh, areas that they look at. Um, so it's, it's hard to just say like black and white in some cases.
2: Yeah, but you touched on like a few of the ones that have kind of stood out to me over the past couple, because, you know, when... Um, Biden took office and then brought in Lena Khan to take mm-hmm. over the FTC. Um, there was, I think, a lot of attention being paid. And, and it kind of, I think, perked a lot of people up, certainly perked me up as she had a reputation for being um, very tough-minded when it comes to tech companies and, you know, the use of data. But then, you know, Amazon specifically, that's a whole other issue, but kind of um, more of a hardliner when it comes to tech companies. And so... I think I remember our you know, one of our former reporters, KK, doing a lot of reporting, talking to you know, folks at the FTC and trying to ascertain, okay, it seems like enforcement's going to ramp up. To what extent can enforcement ramp up, especially given that the FTC has historically had challenges in terms of having enough resources to really enforce things. Um, and there's been you know, a number of announcements made and and moves made by the FTC over the past few years when it comes to tracking pixels, as you mentioned, dark patterns, as you mentioned, there was the Kochava lawsuit as well. But I've had a hard time kind of putting my finger on whether what impacts any of that have had, like the Kochava lawsuit, for example, in I think it was May, a federal judge in I think it was Idaho or Iowa, one mm-hmm. of the high states. It was one of those two dismissed that lawsuit. I know the FTC's like since refiled it, but if there's been also kind of the obviously the Microsoft Activision Blizzard um, lawsuit that's, you know, gotten dismissed where it feels like the FTC hasn't had the impacts that I was expecting it to have, you know, looking back at at 2020 and kind of all the anticipation for what, uh, Lena Khan's FTC would end up doing.
3: Yeah. I think, I mean, it, it, you have to look at it like in big picture, right? So these are a couple instances and look at the magnitude of work that FTC does. Some are highlights, some are prominent things and some are sort of like more business as usual. So, and the resources are slim. They are not there. They haven't. It hasn't like gotten ton of more cash or ton more people. Like so, it's still very limited. So there comes the need of prioritization, and and also any action that FTC has to take, whether it's policymaking, whether it's regulatory, whether it's enforcement. These are lengthy processes, and um, some some that we see now. Are, uh, there's a lot of activity that is happening now from FTC. As you may have seen, like if you go back like a year, year and a half back, they have a lot of um, enforcement actions going after these healthcare companies who are taking, who are release um, irresponsible with people's sensitive health information, like GoodRx, BetterHelp, PreMom, like some of these. Then you have some of the children's privacy cases. Which uh, you touched upon, one of them, like the the uh, Epic, Kochava, Kochava is the the location one, and then you also have Microsoft Xbox, Amazon Alexa, Edmodo, Epic Games, uh, Facebook's order is being um, sort of revisited again. From these are all from children's privacy perspective then Dark Patterns, Publishers Clearinghouse, which is a more recent case with PCH. As we all know, we get a lot of mailing from them uh, over the years and then Epic Fortnite again. So it's it's um, there is a lot of, I would say if you look back and look at the full portfolio and try to track in terms of like what is going on with FTC and what actions are they taking, I think there is a lot that's happening. It's that... Some of the big ticket items that you may be waiting for maybe haven't gone where you need you expected them to be uh to go. But at the same time, there's a lot of lot of groundswell, a lot of movement that is happening, which is causing some of these sectoral changes to happen.
2: Okay. And yeah, it's and I, mean, I think even...
3: sorry, one more thing. And it these are these are actually signaling and giving a message which is much broader. So a merger. Could is a merger of two companies. And yes, there are competition concerns. There are, uh, there is, um, you want to make sure that it's good for consumers, good for economy. But at the same time, like on the consumer protection side, some of these enforcements have, have really like important takeaways for businesses at large, like across industries. So pixel is an example, right? So these three companies are, have had to do with pixel tracking where, um, meta Fis, Facebook pixel or other ad tech pixels were used where data was then sent um, without without consent and um, data sharing happened so these are this is applicable to anybody so I think there are implications that are much broader um from just the companies and these maybe small companies um, in the in 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 your mind where you may be like looking at big tech uh, but at the same time I think they have big,
2: um takeaways okay yeah because i mean even you know BetterHelp, for example they got hit i think it was february of this year if i'm not mistaken um and but then even since then i've still seen i watch a lot of youtube probably too much youtube but they sponsor a lot of youtube channels and they've it feels like that's kind of continued unabated and i haven't noticed any change in their messaging and it, you know I'll be watching YouTube with my partner, and there have been a couple times where there's a this video sponsored by BetterHelp, and the you know creator goes on to talk about BetterHelp. I'm just like, oh, I'm really surprised this person is promoting BetterHelp, considering the FTC had slapped like this would be at that point, you know, two three months after the FTC announcement, um, that it just felt like a weird alignment, and it felt like the kind of thing of are people not aware? Of you know the FTC's you know action against BetterHelp, or is it is this kind of just a sign that you know there isn't that impact really being felt there? Even you know, like you mentioned, the tracking pixel side of things. I think a couple of months ago, um, right around you know when there was all this attention being paid to TikTok and is TikTok going to be banned in the U.S. and what's TikTok doing with um, data from people in the U.S. TikTok rolled out a tracking pixel and, you know, it felt like the kind of thing of like, well, that feels like that would put more of a target on TikTok, but it didn't seem. And so if I was TikTok, I'd be thinking, oh, maybe right now is not the best time to do that, but they did that and it doesn't feel like anything's really come of that. Or there's really been any attention paid. And maybe that's just because they're, what they're doing with the pixel is all like very, sanitized and above board and so they don't have any reason to be concerned but it just feels like i mean even just the words tracking pixel it feels like that has very negative connotations and it's hard to think of many positive connotations
3: yeah i think it's it's this comes back to resources right so if it's any regulator ftc or anybody everybody they have limited resources so they can't go after every company and try to sort of put out, like slap them on the wrist, like every single company. So, But that's where investigations come into play, right? So when they start to see behavior, a negative impact, consumer harm, consumer complaints coming, and that's where prioritization comes in. And then they, fig- then they have to decide whether they want to go after XYZ company or not.
2: We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back.
1: I'm Christina Ko, Senior Editor at Custom, Digiday Media's in-house agency. In this podcast, Interstitial Story, sponsored by Piano, we speak with Michael Silberman, the company's Executive Vice President of Media Strategy, about how publishers are adjusting data management practices and working toward diversifying their revenue streams.
0: The biggest change that we've seen in the past year or so is much, much more focus Uh, than in prior years on actively collecting first-party and zero-party data. We started talking about this, I don't know, back in 2020 when Google first made the announcement that they were deprecating third-party cookies in Chrome. We'd already seen the impact of that in Safari and in Firefox. And our message to our clients was, You need to start thinking about this and you need to actively begin to collect this kind of data um, because it will take you a while, you know, fast forward three years. And I think we're in a very different place. The awareness is certainly right at the top. Everybody knows that this is a tactic that they need to pursue. But the key difference is that now they're actually starting to take action um, and are much more focused on gathering first-party data through instrumenting their website, through using a DMP or a CDP.
1: As publishers take action to build out strong first-party data sets, they're also thinking about audience segmentation and how that affects their business strategies and offerings. Here Silberman highlights some of the results from Piano's recent State of the Industry report with Digiday.
0: They finally are taking seriously that Google has said, yeah, this really is going to happen early next year. We're finally getting rid of it. I mean, it came through loud and clear in the survey that we did. Third-party data is at the bottom of the list. First-party data audience segmentation are at the top of the list. That makes perfect sense, and it's a clear signal that publishers have shifted their priorities. Their understanding that they need to use that data in order to drive their audience segmentation tactics, beginning to think about, all right, what slices of audience are most important for our subscription business? What slices of audience are most important for our ad business? What's the conversation that we need to have with our advertisers and our agencies about the kind of segments that they wanna target in their ad campaigns? And how can we acquire that data as opposed to say, just buying third-party data segments
1: Publishers are realizing that as they work to ensure the data they're acquiring is of high quality, they also need to establish a solid team structure to execute these data management strategies.
0: Publishers that are thinking about this most clearly understand that they need to have a dedicated data management function within the company, and they are acting on that and building that team and saying, okay, this team needs to execute our strategy, sort of understand all our data sources, it, those data sources across those different channels, pull it all into one database. And then that team needs to be responsible for measuring results, understanding progress, understanding impact, potentially also adopting specific tools to be able to measure the value of those segments. Where are the segments that are most valuable for us to be able to um, try and go get more of that data or go find more of those kinds of users other places on the internet and bring them back to our website. All of those tactics can lead to better measurement and clearer understanding of the results that you're getting out of that data management strategy.
1: You've been listening to Michael Silverman, Executive Vice President of Media Strategy at Piano, our sponsor on this episode. And now back to the DigiDay Podcast.
2: Going back to, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on was to get your read on kind of the, what the privacy regulation landscape today, but then also the impacts of you know, the increased privacy regulations that have been out. You know, even, there are a number taking effect this year. There have even been a number that have been introduced this year. Um, and so now, you know, in the, so you left the FTC in October of last year and, and you're consulting through your company um, with, I think, brands and agencies. It's sp- specifically the buy side is your clients. Yeah. And so what's been your um, assessment on like, to what extent marketers are adjusting their privacy practices in light of, you know, a kind of new or enhanced uh, privacy regulation landscape here in the U.S.?
3: Yeah, I think it's it, it's it's all over the spectrum. Some are more, um, some are more on the one end where they are very much sort of aware, very proactive, or wanting to sort of make uh, make a conscious effort. And on the other hand, you have companies who are very early stages, who are sort of haven't haven't made a lot of progress. So it, it really varies, and that's where um, Uplevel, uh, my my consulting firm, that was the premise bef- uh, of that is to really bring together my marketing, advertising, and privacy experience to help brands, agencies, and publishers so that they can enable solutions from the inside out to achieve business outcomes, but also have a consumer privacy lens on it. Because let's be real, like privacy and advertising or privacy and marketing are two two odds. It's like almost kind of like marketers don't want to uh, limit the use of data because it gives us all this great... Uh, benefits of like co- cost efi- co- efficiencies of efficacy, effectiveness, personalization, all this stuff, and then privacy on the other hand is like well, limit as much data as you can, and you don't want to um, capture a lot of information because that is that is um, non trustworthy, that breaks consumer trust, that is uh, concerns with the regulators, that is. Uh, governments have to act as agents to protect consumers in that sense. So it really is a tug of war, and um, that's that's where um, going back to your question, companies have to like it or not. You kind of have to embrace it at some point because this train has left the station, and you either get on it or you're going to be left behind. Because as you've as as we talked about some of these enforcement, and I don't want to use, sound like just a, a fear tactic, but if you look at the, the funnel of privacy, right? So you have regulation, you have enforcement actions. That's sort of like something that companies always want to avoid because of reputational risk, financial risk. Um, then you have compliance. So if you can be compliant, you can be in a better place, but then that's a lot of legal work that's a lot of privacy uh, focused work. Then one step above is being more conscious in terms of privacy by design in your products, privacy by default. So as you are building products and services, have that have that component in mind, whether it's your product people or engineering people. so having that factor built in. And then these the so these are sort of things that have been around for a while. When it comes to product, when it comes to compliance, when it comes to legal, privacy has been in this in this domain for a while. But for marketing, it's new. For marketers and advertisers, it's new. And it's now sort of, I would say, some of the actions, some of the guidance, some of the regulations that are coming out are really hitting the advertisers, are really hitting the marketers. Some of the state laws that you see, they clearly are... Um, designed for limiting targeted advertising they
2: are some they are yeah. like
3: literally giving uh consumers the rights to opt out of uh profiling and targeted advertising they want consumers to be able to given a chance to um uh opt in when they have when if you want to use their sensitive data so it's really like going after the business Side of the of the house and um, hitting the marketers directly, where it's limiting some of the tactics, some of the actual business practices that were in place. For example, like retargeting using your first party data that has been questioned. Um, things in terms of um, granularity in terms of profiling that is being questioned. So it it really sort of comes back to why should marketers care? Is because it is now starting to impact their campaigns, their their uh, programs, both in the sense of performance, scale, uh, and ability to do some of the work that they're
2: used to doing. And what's interesting about that is, it, like, one of the examples you mentioned, you know, retargeting based on first party data, that is a, f- a focus of a lot of these laws, as, as you mentioned, like, Some of these laws, I think California and Colorado uh, come to mind specifically for me of like calling out targeted advertising explicitly in the text of the law. Um, So there is that (laughs) target on targeted advertising at the moment. But at the same time, there's like so much discussion and work being done in terms of like data cleanroom-based advertising. And, you know, ib Tech Lab, you know, recently introduced the um, Open Private Join and Activation specification, which is specifically designed to enable retargeting based off first-party data. And I know there's nuance here that I need to allow for of, well, if people are okay with their first party data being used for targeted advertising, then that's fine. And companies have then the right to use that you know data for that purpose. But I feel like where, maybe this is just me being cynical, but I feel like there aren't as many companies that are actually committed in kind of communicating that option to consumers, let alone making that option easy. Like there are so many I'm in California, so I have now CPRA mm-hmm. um, that I'm living under. And so I have the right to you know, um, opt out, but the opt out process is awful <laughs> for on probably most websites that I've come across. And I opt out of, I think just about every opportunity I get, because I'm just like, well, I don't know what I'm really getting. And like targeted ads, sure, but that's not worth it enough for me for whatever the trade off may be in terms of who may eventually access this data. So, what's been your, um, your, you know, read on the kinds of, you know, I guess my question is, what's the most common, like, Questions that you're getting from clients or potential clients at the moment.
3: Yeah. Um, I want to go back to your question when you said, like, the opt out process is so bad. Let me, mm-hmm. I guess, a question to you would be is like, if a company had a good experience for an opt out purpose, they gave you clear information, made it easy for you, would you have a better perception about them as opposed to everybody else?
2: Yeah, I'd probably even trust them with my data because then it wouldn't feel like they're hiding anything. Like if they were very clear in their language of like, okay, here's, you know, what the data that we collect on you and here's what we use it for and here's who we share it with or here's like, you know, what practices or parameters we have in place to not share it. I might be like, oh, okay, so maybe I do, like you have just given me reason to trust you with my data when is when it's, you know to opt out of you know the sale of my information then they kick me off to some third party mm-hmm. immediately and that's just a terrible experience it's just like oh so you don't care about me whatsoever you just want to profit off of me
3: yeah so see you are a very savvy well well sort of informed do you do this for a living you live in the ad world like you can see and build trust when you have a good experience and People, unlike us, who are normal consumers, like, think about them, right? If they get a good experience, they're going to have a good perception about about the brand and it builds the long-term trust. And I brought this, uh, I just asked you this question impromptu was, this is the sort of things that I talk to clients and potential clients is like, think about the experience that you are providing. And I use the analogy of like, if you are you have a house and you are uh, ready to, you want to do some spring cleaning, you want to make sure your house is nice and welcoming from the outside. Then you want to clean up from the inside, make it cozy and comfortable and sort of like delightful for your daily living. And then you want to go into the dark corners of the house, whether it's like your boiler room, your uh, sort of basement, your storage, to make sure there are no leaks and cracks and things like that. So that's where, that's the same thing that I uh, talk to brands when I say like, okay, your business is your home. Your brand is your home. It could be a house of brands or a branded house. Either way, your outside is your digital experience, which has to be fair and ethical. So that's where helping them avoid dark patterns comes in. So asking questions like this is what I ask people is like, okay, if you go somewhere, you see and a, a button that says accept, very loud, screaming in your face, and then you see a budget button that says reject in a tiny gray font, what would you think about it? Two, uh, inside of the house, which is your marketing programs, your advertising programs, your strategies? So are they constructed from the very beginning with privacy in mind? Like that's where have you done your pixel audits? Do you know what you're collecting and sharing and sending Across the firewall, do you know what you are doing in terms of uh, making sure your brand is sustainable when cookies go away? Do you have a Do you have an experimentation uh, uh, strategy to try new things for when 2024, when Google rolls uh, gets gets rid, gets rid of cookies? So that's again making sure the inside of the house inside of their of the brand there it's more sustainable it's more privacy conscious and it's focused on business outcomes and then the last thing is the hidden corners which is legal and compliance you always want to stay away from it right so you always find a way to avoid it you don't want to deal with uh, the the boring the the unsexy uh, part of um, uh, our business but that's where we help to navigate them right so we try to like explain it in a simple way, we try to like connect the dots. And since I'm able to speak the language on both sides, I'm able to sort of like build a bridge between marketing, privacy and advertising so that you you kind of want to end of the day, business has to run, you have to pay, they have to pay their bills, they have to sell their products and services, both marketing and legal work for the same company. And there has to be a way to bridge the gap and innovate together. Some things will be doable; other things may not be. But then it's all for um, the you want to make calculated risks.
2: Because in, in a way, privacy compliance is kind of like insurance yeah. know, for companies. Of you know, you're basically selling them on something that they hope they never need. Um, but could need one day, and if you know that day comes, they're gonna really want to have it. But it can be hard to get companies to, um, at least from you know what I hear and in, in talking with you know folks in the industry, to get companies to prioritize privacy compliance because it's like, well, how much is this gonna cost? And it's not really like I can measure a return on investment on this really like. <laughs> the measurement would be like how much I'm not getting fined by the FTC or California's attorney general. Um, And then, you know, with the economic downturn, you know, most recently, it's like, why am I going to dedicate money towards that when I'm laying off employees or I'm, you know, my budget is under pressure from our CFO? Have you found anything in in your conversations with your clients that, you know, moves the needle in getting them to prioritize privacy compliance?
3: I think it starts with like, again, you mentioned it like an easy way or or a direct way that everybody sort of looks at is like, the monetary risk that may be, uh, they may, they may sort of like be faced with. So, but again, to your point, right. A lot of times I've been in conversations, you may have been in conversations when you're talking to a, uh, when you are in a marketing role and you talk to a legal person, they give advice, they tell you, don't do this, don't do that. But end of the day, they're like, well, it's business risk. You have to decide. So, um, so it's the the risk. I think there are there are degrees of risk. One is the financial risk that you have. Then the other is um, business risk. So like if you are if you are sort of not following the right privacy principles, if you are not sort of giving a good experience to consumers, like let's put it like on the front end, right? So you can see that on the front end. Then are you gonna be losing? people losing conversions, losing sort of customers? Or is there going to be a decline in loyalty? Is there going to be a decline in repeat customers that you may expect because consumers didn't have a good experience? Um, And then it comes to reputational risk, right? So when you get put up in Digiday and somebody, you write, and you, Tim, write about a company that didn't do things properly, it's a reputational risk. It does sort of Um, is a PR disaster for them. If they picked up in Wall Street Journal, it is not something you want to see in the front page of Wall Street Journal being called that this company did XYZ and and had data issues and privacy issues. And so there your brand is really sort of like impacted. And marketers know how long it takes to build a brand, how much it takes to build the brand reputation, the brand equity. And that takes a direct hit. So I think the 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 levels or the the sort of the dimensions of risk vary, and when you are trying to understand or sort of put a put a value to the cost that privacy compliance is, you have to factor in all those things.
2: Again, maybe this is me just you know where I'm coming from all this, but I just I, I guess I always wish there was more activity um from companies to be more privacy compliant and maybe it's also just like you kind of mentioned <laughs> the conversations I'm having with people kind of ha- like the side of this that I sides of this I get exposed to like you know even on the privacy compliance side having a conversation with um uh, an executive at a company that like audits privacy compliance uh, a few months ago and they had you know been looking into, Um, companies, you know, privacy compliance with, I forget which law specifically or whether it was any particular laws, but they found it was like an overwhelming number of companies just didn't have their privacy compliance, their CMPs, their consent management platforms set up properly where they were, you know, not sending accurate consent signals. And so they, everything looked like they were compliant on the surface. But if you actually looked at it, it's like, oh, they weren't actually the yeah. things weren't plugged in.
3: I mean, that that's where sort of you are going to start to see as more privacy laws get go into effect. So we have like federal FTC level of regulation, but then you have states now, which we have, um, I think at this point, um, four are already in effect and then five are signed into law and then two more have passed. So we're t- looking at like 11 or 12 at this point. So as more of them come, into place, right? So there's going to be more um, regulators, state regulators looking at these companies and they're going to start to see like what's going on with their privacy policy, what's going on with their preference center, are they like, what's going on with their uh, DSAR portal? Like they're going to sort of like just try to like see the company's privacy infrastructure and privacy uh, practices as a consumer would see. So and that's that's when you start that's the first sign when they start to dig in right so if they don't find the appropriate language the appropriate information the experience the it's too hard to navigate as a consumer and then they want to go in and like ask those questions so you may not have seen a lot of that just yet but because with with more laws coming in there's going to be more um watching and more sort of um, investigations that will happen which will then create a, a ripple effect and then you'll see more companies trying to like follow uh, follow the path of um, privacy
2: God I, I hope so <laughs> you're right and then lastly like on kind of that note it seems like another ripple effect or even you know more like a, a wave could come from now all this attention being paid to artificial intelligence and kind of how companies as well as you know just people are aware of or not even necessarily so much aware of but like concerned about the data that's being put into these AI systems like there've been a lot of companies you know a lot of the big tech companies that have put out memos to employees saying don't put any like sensitive information into these AI systems. The FTC is looking into open AI right now. To what extent is are you finding that like marketers are um, looking at AI or keeping privacy in mind as they're evaluating AI? Because it seems like there's a ton of excitement about AI, but I don't know to what extent um, there's enough consideration of the the privacy concerns with respect to ai especially because it feels like with ai once that data is out it's really out and there's no pulling it back
3: yeah i think i mean ai is the new kid on the block and i think there's excitement on all sides right so businesses including marketers using ai then regulators needing to regulate ai so it's it's and and it's it's not like new in the sense like AI algorithms and uh, these things have been around for a bit. They were always on the backside. They were always like behind like use for business processing or data processing or decisioning, automated decision decision processing. They were never like at the fingertips of consumers. I think with open AI, it became so easy. So it really gave, gave it sort of... Um, it It created so many use cases, and those use cases are all rooted into the ease of uh, ease and convenience of using AI. And to your point about marketers, I think marketers are always excited about new technologies, new shiny objects. they want to experiment and they it's it's the world marketers live in. like it's about innovation, it's about trying new things. So I don't think it's like a marketer only problem in terms of privacy align um, and AI it's it's a problem overall uh, whether you use it for marketing whether you use it for anything else whether you use it for healthcare whether you use it for employment related things we, you you can use it for any any sector it's the the core problem uh, that surrounds privacy and AI is like What's the bias in the data set? What's the human harm that can be caused because of the biased outcomes? And that's what things that market uh, regulators look for, right? So, unfair and deceptive practices or employment bias. What are the misleading and claims or baseless claims that companies who are using AI may put, which is not true? Like, this goes back to the fundamental. Uh, thing that FTC enforces is unfair and deceptive practices. So like, if you're using AI, you have to use a, tell companies that you're using AI. You have to tell people that your you, system is based on AI. You can't just lie about it. And then privacy of user, user data. Whether you're putting in marketing data or employee data or product information or financial information, any information that goes in, it's Transparency of how the data is used, how it's collected, what are they doing, how are they processing it. So I think the it's not a marketing only problem. It's 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 the fundamental AI um, and privacy questions that are unanswered still.
2: Okay, hopefully, we start getting some answers. Yeah. And maybe I just turned to ChatGPT and ask. Them the <laughs> yeah, questions.
3: you're like, what are your <laughs> privacy concerns? <laughs> Let's see what exactly. you say. Maybe you you, yeah. should, you should post about it. <laughs>
2: Awesome. Rashi, really appreciate you coming on the show. always enjoy speaking with you. So thanks so much for doing this.
3: Thank you. I hope this was helpful. And I hope there are some takeaways for the folks listening.
2: And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.